Hello and welcome to this edition of the Generation Gap show with me, Clive Glover, and also my guest, who is a millennial or a genzennial, as we like to call them these mm-hmm. days. And this this week, it's actually is a genzennial, uh, someone Generation Z, someone born in the 21st century. So I'd like to welcome Anna, who's, of course, been on this program before, haven't you, Anna? I have. I've done two podcasts. This is my third one. There you go. Oh, she's counting as well. Okay, well, welcome <laughs> along. And um, right, we're going to talk about um, something really about history, but I'm going to call it dinosaurs. And that's because it's a little bit of an in-joke in this program. Um, anyone who's listening to this who heard some programs over the last few years may recall every now and then we brought out the dinosaurs. And that's because there was a, an early program that I did with Claudia. And we basically were talking about um, conspiracy theories. And some of these, obviously, on the internet, particularly on Facebook and things, there's lots of conspiracy theories and some really stupid ones. And she Mm. found this one which said that the dinosaurs had built the pyramids in Egypt. Mm. Now, I just laughed, basically, because I thought, well, that's just so ridiculous. How ridiculous. But she looked a bit puzzled um, and said, well, what's wrong with that? You know, they could have done. I said, well, no, they couldn't because the pyramids were built about four and a half thousand years ago and the dinosaurs died out 60 million years ago. There's rather a big gap in between. And although she sort of bluffed it a little bit, she really didn't understand that. And it struck me then that obviously the way history is being taught in schools, and obviously when I was there as well, is a bit odd because it it doesn't give you an idea of the overall timeline of things. What you learn is about these particular events or these particular people. And typically it's things like Henry VIII and his wives. It's about, I don't know, um, Julius Caesar invading England, 1066 and all that, uh, all sorts of other things. And World War II seems a very popular subject for some reason. Yeah. Um, and so you learn all these things. And so you dip into a piece of history and you may learn quite a lot about it, the names of all the people, the events as they happened. And, you know, perhaps sometimes you see newspaper stories. So you really get into that particular little aspect of it. Then you jump out and do something completely different. And so what happens is that later on, you, you remember these particular incidents and these events, and you know something about some of the historical characters, but you don't really have any appreciation of what order they happened in. Mm. And this seems sometimes this is quite difficult to get your head around anyway, but it is something that somehow people don't learn. Um, Do you think that's still true? Yes, I definitely think so. From my own personal experience, like, for example, I'm doing history A level and we we learn about um, the governments after World War Two. We also learn about the civil rights movement. But it's right. You learn about a certain topic in a certain time frame. But you don't learn about that in the context of, say, the whole history of America or the whole history of UK governments. Like, although sometimes you do a breadth study, it's that's not the case with every historical topic. So it's quite hard to get your head around maybe how something came about or how it ended. Because if you don't learn what's before and after, the chains don't really link. And I find even when you're researching history on the internet. You can learn about a battle, but to learn to understand the full meaning of the battle and why it occurred and its consequences and everything like that, you have to know what became for it, what became, what sorry, what came for, before it and what came after it. But that takes a lot of research and 
I don't think there's always enough time and it's tricky. Well, I think obviously, um, like any subject you're learning, even if you're doing a whole degree in it or something, you, you can't do everything. You can't learn every single thing about history, mm. um, for example. And so you obviously choose different eras. And to some extent, they're chosen for you. And I suppose the, the way they'd be chosen is because they're sort of interesting. Maybe there's lots of information available. Yeah. And may, maybe it's because those particular eras or those events are reckoned to be significant and perhaps something which you you might find is repeating itself mm. in, in the current time or perhaps in some time in the future. Um, I'd like to think that was the reason, but I'm not sure. I, I think it's often teachers just go, oh, well, I really like the subject. And so we'll, we'll just pick on this particular. Yeah, one. because I was speaking to a history teacher the other day and I didn't realise that history teachers like or teachers can actually kind of have a quite an influence on the course that you do. So they can decide how they teach it, and um, so yeah, it's quite it's it's not always well. I thought it was more derived from the government, but I think it can history like the agenda can be definitely chosen by teachers, which is very subjective. I mean, also, um, I mean, obviously, living in a place which has got lots of history, like St Albans, is interesting because obviously mm. there's lots of opportunities throughout your from from junior school all the way through to secondary schools and so on to go and visit various places and look at the walls. Or, or recently, I mean, I actually went to a play at the um, auditorium in St Albans. Yes, I was going to go to one of them. And it was great. And it was outside, obviously, outside theatre. And while I was sitting there, I've been there before, obviously, but I was thinking suddenly, do you know... 2,000 years ago, people were sitting here watching plays in the same place. It's just amazing to think about. Yeah, I've been to watch a play and I think being in the actual environment of like a Roman monument or ruins, is it really helps you to take yourself back. And I think that's why it's so important that um, historical monuments and buildings are preserved because it really, well, if you go and visit them, it helps you to... Re- to get in the mindset of the people who lived there and step in their shoes and that brings history alive because otherwise I think history can be seen as being a bit I don't know boring to some young people definitely well obviously the history has been something people have taught for a long time and it's a classic subject where they have learnt by rote and so they give you a sort of few pieces of paper to look at mm. saying this is this is about so and so you know some particular person I know Oliver Cromwell or something yeah. and you learn all about he did this he was born there he did this he grew up he went to that school he then first time he did something was this and then he was very famous because he did this this and this yeah. um, and by the way there's a big statue of him outside Houses Parliament if you're talking about Oliver Cromwell um, but, but, but I mean mm. it's that sort of thing and so it is sort of I don't know what it is it's like I suppose teaching you cooking but by telling you this is flour this is how flour is made this is where it comes from this is how they make prepare it yeah. this is how they put it in the bags and they deliver it here to you and then mm. you're going to use flour and 25 other things which we're going to mix together to make make a, a, a some sort of recipe um but they sort of concentrated on telling you loads and loads of things about one little aspect of it does that make sense to you i think that does make sense i think i think mm, we can try and be taught about kind of how everything came to be but I don't think it always works especially in my what I because because I do history A level and I did history GCSE there's only a certain it's not possible obviously to know the full timeline of the events before the certain topic you're learning so yeah I think I think they try but I think it's quite hard to do that if that makes sense yeah well of course the other thing is that um 
someone like me who's lived a long time um, has lived through a number of events and sort of mm. periods where things have happened which I could mention to you in one word practically and you would say oh yeah I've heard about that but yeah. for me it was a historical event that really happened and I was sort of there watching it as it were I mean I haven't been in the middle of a uh, anything quite directly but you know obviously with things like television you you can watch things live happening which um, then become sort of known as historical events I mean the classic one for me is obviously landing on the moon yeah. which was 1969 um <laughs> a long time ago now i was i was a young teenager i will say then and i do remember you know it's so exciting this is happening and obviously yeah. we, we knew it was going to happen because they they left earth in the spaceship and it took them several days to get to the moon mm. and we all knew exactly when it was time to happen um and um so it was also live on television which was unheard of at the time really you know obviously we had television you could watch things happening in other countries yeah um, but this idea that that um you could. We, we had to get up really early in the morning. I think, I think it's about four o'clock in the morning. I think we got up really? and turned the television on, and it was a little old black and white television. If you ever know what that, one of those is, I mean, <laughs> um, was it? Yeah, well, yeah. I've seen them in movies. Uh, well, I'm sure you have. Um, but I mean, the point was that it was really live television from the moon, which was unbelievable by itself, um, mm. and. Obviously, we, we sat there and it was really exciting. And I think it was something like 600 million people around the world were watching it then. Wow. Unprecedented. Um, yeah. So it really, it really annoys me to hear people saying, oh, no, it didn't really happen. It was all a conspiracy. It was all done in a studio in Hollywood. Blah, yeah, because you've, you've witnessed it. Well, I mean, obviously, I could have been fooled by the television things if it was done like that. True. But of course... But the truth is, I have actually met one of the astronauts who uh, was in that mission. Not either of the two who went and landed on the moon, but it was the third one who had to stay in the capsule going round the moon. Um, to, so when they left the moon and came back, they had to dock up with the spacecraft he was in. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I um, yes, I met him years and years ago. In How Washington, did you meet where, him? Well, he, he was... Um, he was giving a talk at the museum in Washington, D.C., where I happened to be living at the time. Yeah. And um, so I went along and uh, basically um, watched him give his talk. And then afterwards, he said, if anyone wants to have a quick chat, come up and speak to me. Hey, did I want to? <laughs> of course. That's so interesting. And that's amazing yeah. that to think that that person's body has been up in space in the moon and now they're talking to you on Earth. I think that's really cool. Well, absolutely. And also, I mean, um, the thing was that I then asked him the same question that 45 million other people have asked him. Were you disappointed you didn't go and actually put your feet on the moon because you had to stay there? He said, no, no, they wouldn't have got back if I wasn't there. My job was just as important as theirs. Blah, yeah. blah. It got it all rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've actually met an astronaut as well. I, I went to Kennedy Space Center in the US and we, my family and I, we met a Brazilian astronaut. And it's just, I think it's really fascinating because it takes so much bravery to go up there. And it's, I think space is really incomprehensible for humans, just the vastness of it. And because you can't see it with your eyes, you can only see photos, unless obviously you've been up there, which is not what many people, where many people have been. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's really cool. <laughs> I think I think the total number of people who've been in space now is something like six or seven hundred. Actually, it's quite quite a large number. Oh, really? Hmm. Um, I've met quite a few astronauts actually because I, I worked for um, some years actually on the space program, but um, I won't go into all the details. I have spoken about this before, so right. I met quite a few of them, and um, I've been to a few places. And I, I saw a space shuttle take off from Cape Canaveral once. Did you? That was quite, wow, that's quite impressive. 
Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, these things are quite exciting. Anyway, of course, they're going yeah. to be doing that again soon. Um, I think about two or three years' time, the plan is to land on mm. the moon with a, a program called Artemis. Yes, and I saw that. There's about 20 astronauts who are being trained to do it, but of course they won't all be doing it. But the, the main key thing that NASA keeps putting out is the first person to land on the moon this time round is going to be a woman. Yes, it's great to have representation in um, the space industry and to show that women are, can do it just as much as men can. Well, of course, there's no reason why not. I mean, I think there's about 20 astronauts in their sort of team, and I think five or six of them are women. It's not half, but there's a number of them, and some of them are actually the most um, experienced because they're all sort of like um, aeroplane pilots and so on is how they get into this business. And I've seen as well that teams that have a mix of men and females do work better. Like the balance is ends to be, in the end, is more productive and actually makes up for a better team so i think it's very positive and also there shouldn't be any distinguished between men and women <laughs> should just be well, i was just gonna say i mean to, to me it's just why not obviously the people are the best qualified for the job who cares if it's a man or a woman frankly yeah is, exactly is my view, unfortunately some people don't agree with that obviously um yeah. Anyway, so I mean, landing on the moon was one of those things which I will always remember for the rest of my life as something obviously I experienced. I wasn't wasn't there, I, but I saw it on television. But of course, everybody was together all around the world on that, watching that one thing, mm. and all with our fingers crossed and all the rest of it. So that's the sort of example of history in the making. That you know, um, I said this to my daughter, who's about a bit older than you. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously for her, it's a historical event she hears about in school. For me, I was there watching it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just part of your life. That's the thing. I think sometimes history can we can I can feel quite detached from history, but I you have I have to remember that people actually lived through that, and that was just a part of people's lives. For, for example, with COVID nineteen, the global pandemic, this will be history in five, ten years' time. Obviously, further down the line as well, it will be history, maybe taught about in science at schools. But sometimes I can feel like history was such a long time ago that I don't have any comprehension of what what it would have been like to live through it. But then I have to remember that, wow, this was actually part of people's lives and it's just life. It's just how the world worked in that time. And it's, yeah. Well, I mean, I think also, I mean, obviously I'm sure you have spoken to your parents, your grandparents about things and other older relatives. Yeah. And they will tell you things. You suddenly realise these things. I mean, my parents, for example, were both um, teenagers, late late teens, and then early 20s, through the whole of the Second World War. Mm. Um, so they had to spend that period of their lives. Um, obviously, my, my mother was in, actually in London, working in London, living in London during the Blitz, you know, which was the time when obviously yeah. there were, every night, as, the, as it got dark, you put your curtains, turned all the lights off, yeah. and then you heard the noise of aeroplanes coming over and bombs being dropped. It must have been petrifying. Or every single day, you had no idea whether that bomb would land, obviously, 10 miles away or on your next door neighbour's garden. Yeah, just living. You'd be living in fear constantly. And I think that is relatable to now because people, there's so much uncertainty at the moment with people's jobs, um, whether schools will close, whether exams will be on, et cetera, et cetera, whether uni, uni's, that uni experience is not the same. There's so much uncertainty and worries that. I suppose we can kind of relate that to maybe a war situation. It's very different, but feelings are always transferable, I think, and it must have been petrifying. 
Well, I think it's slightly more than that. I keep saying to people that um, throughout this last few months, you know, we've all had issues and people are scared and so on. But at the same time, we've got houses, we've got roofs over our heads, we've got yeah. water, we've got electricity, we've got gas, you know, we've got heating, all these okay. things. We, we've generally been able to get food. Obviously, some people have had some problems, but it's not really the same as the the wartime things when, you know, obviously um, bombs are falling on your houses. Um, yeah, that's... And obviously uh, things like food, maybe, you know, the, the Germans at one point were sort of stopping food getting into the country. So people weren't starving, but certainly we had, we had a rationing system, uh, which obviously was actually really, really small amounts of food available by our standards yeah. today. I think the threat to life is was much more severe and tr- like scary because... Yeah, the thing is, one day you could be in a war, you're alive, the next you could be bombed. Like, you just never know. You're literally treading on eggshells the whole time. Whereas in a pandemic, the healthcare system is quite, well, quite reassuring. And the threat to life is a lot less. So I think, yeah, I I agree with you. I think that it's much more severe with the war. Well, I mean, for example, my mother didn't talk too much about that time um i think a lot of people who lived through the war although they would sort of mention things occasionally to sort of relatives it's not something they come out and sort of talked about in in great depth because they were much more reticent in those days to talk about things but my mother did tell me the story that they had a a, a bomb shelter in the road she lived in it was a sort of cul-de-sac road with about i don't know eight or ten houses and so every night you had to go and go into the the bomb shelter obviously to shelter um against any bombs falling yeah. nearby um but but there was a, a day when um for some reason she and her family weren't there and couldn't get to the oh, shelter no. and that was the day when there was a bomb dropped on it and a number of people obviously from that road oh were my gosh that could have been so them it's, 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 it, it, it's so random you see and that, that you think about that and think oh, i can't cope with that you know that's how, how difficult it is to get through something mm. like that oh my gosh that's that's quite create like incomprehensible to think that you because Clive you might not have existed if your mum had made it back to that shelter well indeed yes that's the sort of thing you were thinking about then as well isn't it um I mean I also remember one of my grandmothers um she lived in in the middle of London and obviously was older than that so she was around um at the first world war but she wasn't talking about wasn't talking about that and she said she remembered something in the history books which was the siege of sydney i've never heard of that now there's no of course you haven't nor have i nor had i at the time but i've looked it up and i know what it is basically there was um some gang who um, robbed a bank and they then obviously tried to escape and in the escaping, the police had already been tipped off or something. The police were yeah. chasing them. And so they ran and ran and ran. And they ran into this road, which is called Sydney Street, which is still there in the east end of London. And basically, it was a dead end. So they found themselves oh, trapped. No. So what they did was they, they, they went into some houses and basically um, kidnapped some people there or held them hostage in yeah. the street. And they had, gun, they had guns and things. You know, it's not the good old bobbies without just truncheons. No. Um, and so th- this then became quite a famous event for several days. They held out um, with these hostages in this street with half of Scotland Yard surrounding them. Oh, my gosh. Them. And it was the front, the front page story on lots of newspapers. And it was just a big sensational yeah. story. Um, but for my grandmother, because she lived in the next road or, or very near there, that was actually the main thing she ever remembered about her, her um, sort of young life, as it were. And I thought that was really quite interesting. Yes, I I think history also can be quite localized, can't it? Like your 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 the things that stand out to people is what is around them, 
like with COVID, we all have our own stories to tell. And in time, that's what we will tell our potentially when I'm older, if I have grandchildren, our children, that's what I'll be, I'll be telling them my version of events and what I lived through. So I think that's really fascinating. But in the history books, I think it can all be quite generalised, which I don't know if that's a shame or not. Maybe it is. You don't really hear about little stories mm. like that. Well, obviously, because it's a very specialist yeah. thing, and it it was la- it was the big story of the week for you know a few days in London and probably the whole country um, because it was in the national newspapers. But obviously, it's not something. I mean, you could look it up probably if you wanted to. I'm sure it's on the internet it's somewhere. Probably on Wikipedia. Um, but I mean, it'll be on Wikipedia. So yeah. That's for sure. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. The other thing I'd like to mention um, because I, I've got very interested recently is in family yeah. history. Um, and now my sister has been spent many years actually tracking our family history. Oh. When she was quite young, she started writing letters to um, elderly relatives and asking them about their lives. And they all wrote long letters back telling telling her all the sort of where they were born, where they did this, which school they went to. Oh, that that's amazing. Stuff. And she put all, she's put all this together. And then a bit older, when she's a bit older, she started doing real research, which is things like going out to um, cemeteries and finding out all the sort of, because in churches they have um, all the birth, marriage, and mm-hmm. death records. So if you know where you're going and you know that some of your family relatives were in that particular village or went to that particular church, you can track yeah. it down. And as it happened, our, our family is quite easy to follow because um, several generations of them all lived in the same little village in Essex. Oh. Um, so, you know, practically everybody in the graveyards related to us in some way. It seems yeah. like it, um, but in more in more recent times, of course, we've then got this thing called DNA, mm. and anyone can do it now. You can basically uh, send a sample off, and you get your G- DNA analysed and sent yeah. back to you as a little computer as a little computer file. It's really that's, um, that's and, wow. That's modern technology for you. But the thing about it is that that tells you. Um, things they can match it against other people's dna to show relatives now obviously like me and my sister funnily enough we have a very similar dna i think it's like 45 percent the same and so it it just confirms she really is my sister which i had no doubt about yeah reassuring (laughs) though yeah but and also some of my other relatives so i found some of my cousins and so on they they all sort of match but because these companies are trying to sell you lots more things um they match up your DNA with anybody else who's got similar bits of it, including quite small chunks of it, you know, yeah. percentages, 1% or less. So pretty much every week I get an email saying, oh, we found some more relatives yeah. for you. Um, and, you know, I've uh, one of my cousins put this all together on some of the information she got, put it onto a family tree yeah. website, and suddenly we had 1,400 oh, relatives. What? That's a massive amount. And um, obviously, we were able to check against the records we knew who most of these were. So we, a lot of them checked mm. out. But obviously, there's lots of other people. And we keep getting these other ones uh, from people in Australia really? or Sweden, things like this. And I think, well, I don't think I've got any Swedish relatives, but perhaps yeah. I have. Uh, and you can sort of obviously contact these people, and, and many of them are doing the same stuff themselves. And you start finding that bits of, bits of your tree match bits of somebody yeah. else's tree you'd never heard of. Yeah, I... I was contacted by a guy in it- by a guy in Italy, yeah. for example, and he actually is is quite is relatively closely related to me. Um, it's a bit complicated explaining it, but he he's basically the descendant of someone who's a sister of one of my one of my wow. relatives. 
Um, and he did loads of work on it. So we added the two trees together and we got another 600 people on them, you know. <laughs> Just keep on multiplying as you add more trees on. Wow. So are you, are you having got any plans to meet with this person? Oh, well, not particularly, but I mean, we, we've had a number of letters and things, backwards, forwards, emails and so on. But also one of my uncles turned out to be related to royalty. Oh, really? Yeah, we found out. They, they sent this thing saying, oh, look, here we are. Here's all the people related to you. And they say, hang on a minute. That says Richard III Plantagenet. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. King Richard III. I said, is that really right? And I was a bit surprised and thought, mm, not skeptical. sure about that. But I checked it out and it's true. Wow. Now go. that makes me want to discover into my family history because, wow, yeah, I want to do that. I think everyone should do that. Then you can actually know a bit more where you come from, where your roots are. It, I think it... It's interesting. I mean, but obviously you can probably go a bit yeah. mad on it as well. But I mean, I think it is quite interesting to, to find out. And obviously what most people find in this country is that they've got relatives or their, their um, ancestors come from all over yeah. Europe at least. Um, and you know, because people mixed a lot more than you think they did in, in mm, the past. Yeah. So everyone's got Irish, French and German relatives, yeah. for example. Yeah. I, I have never really thought of, um, looking into my family tree, but it's, I mean, why not? The, the site, the sites are out there. I mean, why not give it a go? But as you say, yeah, you can probably get down a rabbit hole and spend ages doing it. Well, I think from from your point of view, I mean, I would suggest obviously you could, if you were interested, talk to your older relatives now, because yeah. in twenty years, thirty years time, you suddenly say, "Oh, I wish I'd spoken to old auntie so and so," and this sort of thing. So that's that's quite a good way of starting. But the DNA thing's slightly more complicated because obviously what they're doing nowadays is also uh, matching them for um, crime scenes. Oh, I'm not yeah. suggesting you might be involved or any of your relatives are criminals, but you actually don't know. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> but you don't know. And, and <laughs> there's been examples where they've actually used this in California. They, they caught a, there was a long sort of um, standing case, which they never solved. And they suddenly picked up some DNA and found that they found a sort of cousin of somebody and found out that yeah. the, the person who'd done it. And it was like 20 years ago. So they're, oh. they're clearing off the books with these sort of things. Yeah. That's really that's very clever. I mean, yeah. I mean that that shows that we're we're not all. If you think you, if you do a crime, you think you can hide from it, then maybe you can't. Oh no, they'll get you as well. But I mean, the the yeah, the thing is that obviously it's um it's interesting in doing that. I'm not sure about the legality of it. To be honest, I was a bit worried about that when I heard that. But obviously, the, yeah. the police can suddenly get hold of the information somehow. Anyway, um, I know there's. There's a lot of data on us and we don't realise it. Oh, yes. I've done several whole programmes on that subject. You won't believe how yeah. much is known. Um, it's quite scary. It is. I mean, I don't even know the full extent, but that's another that's another tangent yeah, well, that we're going down. Mr. Google and Mr. Facebook know everything you know about you and everybody you know, basically. Yeah. They've got files ah, and everybody. That's scary. Yeah. That's so scary. Yeah. We strayed, a little, anyway. we strayed a little bit from history, but I think we were. It's an interesting sort of yeah. thing because there's so many aspects of it these days, which of course aren't really taught about at school at the moment. But obviously, a lot of the um, DNA things have actually proven that some of the historical theories aren't necessarily correct. Oh yeah, because um, that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of that. I'm interested because archaeology is where you sort of dig up, dig in the ground and find bones yeah. and other things from people, and you that that shows you where people have been and 
things you find some of the um jewelry they've got and you find someone yeah. in east anglia mysteriously has got jewelry from turkey or something you think well how did that happen you know umpteen thousand years yeah. ago but obviously that people yeah. were wandering around and people were trading and traveling backwards and forwards much more than you think but the dna yeah. the dna on top of that also then confirms these things where people came from where people went to and all that sort of stuff mm. and this, yeah. this is now being all added together um, so, yeah. so the history of sort of people and where people started and where people came from and where people moved to is now being tracked in several different ways and so we've got much more sort of open knowledge about how things happened in the past i find that really interesting yeah, i do I, I i didn't really think that it's been a very interesting discussion thank you for that anna and um it's good to know and you're learning history so that'll be interesting now i've put all these ideas in your mind when you're doing your um studies uh, you'll uh, think yeah they'll, they'll pop into my head 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. they will Okay. Well, thanks very much for this. Um, and uh, we'll, um, I'm sure we'll speak to you again soon. Um, so this has been the Generation Gap show with me, Clive, and with my guest this week, Anna. And we've been talking about history, but we got a bit off topic because it is a very large topic. And I think that was actually the way we started saying it's a huge topic. People really um, don't understand perhaps how large it is. It could be the only thing you ever learn, really. Perhaps it's a very important thing to learn. I don't know. Thank you very much for listening to the Generation Gap show here on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. And if you like this podcast, there's hundreds of them now, and you can go and find them all on our website, which is radioverulam.com. Thanks very much. Bye.